2: Hey, everyone. Welcome to a good football show. I am Matt Straup, and with the NFL draft exactly three weeks away, today we're looking at some veterans we are concerned about. These are players who could stand to lose value based on the likely or possible draft decisions that their teams are getting ready to make. I'm joined by Pat Darty and John Daigle. Denny Carter is out, he is listed as day to day. Just being honest, he is probably at Narby's right now. <laughs>
3: Yeah, also he's actually he's been fired, he's been terminated, is why he's oh not oh, oh not I, had, on the I, I had
2: not I had not heard that. I just saw day to day. So no, no, I, yeah. you're
3: right, he's at the Arby's, of course. I'm actually quite shocked at the number of responses we received
4: about people arguing meat or hat from last episode. Some some people <laughs> even hunting down the signs um to make sure they saw what they saw on the internet. But either way, uh, that's actually not what I wanted to talk about at the top of the show, not Arby's. Since Denny's not here, I wanted to get some food takes. Because as we know, Denny and Adam Levitan, the two people in the industry you cannot talk to at all about food. And I don't know if the two of you were aware of this, but it is Master's Week. I don't expect you to talk about golf. We're not even going to talk about it today. But the winner, the year prior, gets to pick the menu at next year's dinner. And so I am actually curious. We have three here. We can go around the room. Uh I'm not assigning either of y'all appetizers because I don't trust your opinion on appetizers. But, Pat, you seem like a protein guy, so I'm giving you the meat and fish choice because you get to pick two. Because, of course, everyone shows up, may not eat a steak or whatever your chicken or beef protein is, so that's fine. And I'll go to you for dessert,
3: Matt. How does that sound?
2: Oh, wow. You're going to regret that, but but yeah.
3: Unless you want apps. If you want apps, I'll take dessert. Matt, you go meat. I'm unsophisticated on meat, uh, so you go.
2: Okay,
4: Matt. Do you want the protein then? Is that
2: okay? Yeah, I would. I would much rather have the protein. Okay. And does that does that come with sides? Like, are, do I get to pick any sides with that, or no?
4: Yes, you can go ahead and pick one side for each. How about that?
2: Okay, so we're having a meat and a fish, is what you're saying?
4: You have to have a meat and a fish. I believe that's the requirement, even on the menu. Like a DJ this year picked. It was filet mignon and then marinated sea bass was his were his choices. Oh, nice. All well,
3: choices, by the way. So you don't even truly get to pick what you actually want. They still set parameters. So you can't say, like I would say, Emos <laughs> from St. Louis, St. Louis style pizza. Hold on, what is, oh, okay. Is that a brand? We don't need to get into it, but uh, it's a brand and a chain. It's a local St. Louis chain that makes paper thin pizza. It's quite controversial. It's extremely popular here. Ah, uh, detested by many who are not from here. We're not serving thin crust and Arby's at the Masters, <laughs> Pat. <laughs> so Denny and I would ruin this. So Matt, what's the meat? What's the I'm going to go with,
2: meat? like if I win the Masters, I want to get down and dirty at that table. I'm going to have this all over my face. I'm going with a fried chicken for the meat choice. Guys, fried chicken. Okay. This is my choice, right? I'm going fried chicken and French fries straight up. I'm not classing it up. I'm going, fr- I'm from the South. I'm going fried <laughs> chicken and French fries, Southern fried, spicy Nashville, hot chicken. Okay. And it's going to get messy.
4: I appreciate I, that. I, I think a lot of people, I thought he got a lot of people like slum chicken fried steak or fried chicken down just thinking it's only garbage junk food, but uh, you can sophisticate it. You can make it at home like via stovetop by rolling it in your own breading. So sure. I'll agree with that for the first side. Okay. okay.
3: You can put some waffles with it, of course, too. Oh yeah. Uh, so you are you are not gonna do a fish No, thing? I, I was no stalling
2: because I couldn't I couldn't think of the, the fish. I did I'm just a I'm just a straight up I'm just a straight up Atlantic salmon kind of guy. You know what I mean?
3: Me too. I love salmon. Uh, I'm not gonna complain.
2: Grilled Atlantic salmon. You can't go wrong. We
3: don't need to overcome. Is it Atlantic or are we going with Alaskan? Are well, we going with Norwegian? If I can get um, fresh
2: wild Alaskan salmon, I'll go with that. But I find that you often get that frozen. So I need to know whether we're we're talking if we can if we can talk fresh, then yes. Wild it's only
4: fresh we're not we're not
3: serving frozen frozen at the masters fantasy football dinner is what we're trying to decide All right. here
2: yeah we'll go alaska
3: it's the masters they would have jim jim nance's private jet is flying in salmon from alaska unfrozen All right. could, you could you can make it happen at the masters done deal so salmon
4: and chicken fried no fried chicken chicken fried steak is the southern tendency to go to yeah uh fried chicken and fries and then salmon with on top of like a mash, probably
2: yeah, right? yeah, or vegetables.
3: Mash. I guess it would be vegetables.
2: Got to go with a mash and like a, maybe a little vegetable, uh, little vegetable mélange kind of thing going on. There you go. Yeah. Some
3: roasted carrots, uh, maybe some uh, some asparagus. Yeah. I know. Does that go with salmon? I eat it with. Yeah, salmon, get a little
2: zucchini. But... Get a little zucchini, grilled zucchini in there too.
3: Yeah, steamed vegetables
4: typically yeah. is the go-to. Yeah. And that works. Uh, Pat, that works. Okay, go to you for dessert. What are we having here, buddy? Don't let me. Uh, don't mean, let me
3: down. I didn't used to be much of a dessert. My wife is a huge dessert aficionado. I would say, but I'm unsophisticated here too. Like Matt, I'm just going to say like the more chocolatey, the cake, the better. Basically I will say chocolate cake. Okay. Maybe with some vanilla ice cream with it. You know, the classic yin and yang. Uh, but yeah, I'm not going, I, I don't have sophisticated dessert taste. I really don't have sophisticated tastes at anything. I'm just saying chocolate cake with ice cream. And then do you have a second one? If not, I do not. If not okay, never, I'm
4: stealing it's the only it from dessert you. I've ever Fine, had. Fine, I'm stealing it from you, and we're going crème on the other side, and then uh, I'll make the people happy. And then, if I had to choose appetizers really quickly, uh, I think I would go devil eggs sprinkled with cayenne. And I understand deviled eggs aren't for everybody, but you can spruce them up, even like mixing the sauce with a little bit of Greek yogurt to make it creamier is very good. And then, uh, this is a controversial take. I'm actually a big buffalo cauliflower guy. Now, Buffalo Wings, I like the buffalo cauliflower, whether it's breaded or not. So that or like even Adamame, we'd be fine with. And that is our fantasy football master's dinner. There
3: you go. Everyone would hate it. They, I, so I would add one sophisticated. I'll add some baklava. Is that sophisticated? Okay. I don't know if it's Greek. Baklava's uh, just fine. Add some baklava. Fantastic. Yeah. And there we go. We've won the master's and now we are pigging out.
4: And we don't have Denny here to argue about whether it's a
3: cheese board or not. Like, we're just fine. We can move <laughs> on. That was a stroke of genius. If you're going to have a food talk, Denny cannot be a part of it. He needs to be far, far away. He needs to never know this exists. So he can't like comment on it or anything or respond to the tweets. So (laughs) we need to keep him off social media for the next week.
2: All right. Let's look at some of these situations that I broadly mentioned at the top. Again, veterans were worried about the potential of their team bringing in competition or a player that flat out might ruin their fantasy value via the NFL draft. Pat, we'll start with you. And I'm worried about you because we sent around our topics and literally at the top of your list were the words drew lock your first, your first thing. Apparently you're worried about the Broncos clouding up a situation that they should absolutely be trying to cloud up in my opinion, by any means possible. What are your thoughts on this one?
3: Well, worried isn't the right word. This is more like I would be worried if I were drew lock because one of the more surprising developments of free agency to me was the Broncos not adding any veteran competition whatsoever in, that would seem to point very strongly to taking a quarterback in number nine. Now. and which, It's going to be tough this year because we know the top three teams are locked into quarterbacks. So unless the Broncos have someone in mind that they think is going to fall – it came this road became a little easier for them when the Panthers acquired Sam Darnold and probably aren't drafting a quarterback. They could be. Um, so that, that made the Broncos' path to a quarterback a little easier, which should make Drew Locke a little more nervous. Uh, who? I mean, I guess the Patriots could jump them. Uh, But they're they're sitting in a seat right now where they might have a more uh, realistic idea of who would be available to them at quarterback. And after not signing anyone in free agency, you know, the new GM maybe wanting to put a stamp on things, uh, is too talented of an offense, too talented of a roster maybe you could argue. Still more – not the overall – still too talented of an offense to be going to waste with Drew Locke. And I would be very, very nervous about him despite surviving the first test because I thought the Broncos were like, Kind of like the ideal, maybe most likely landing spot for Ryan Fitzpatrick. So maybe Drew Locke was resting easy after that. But I, I would still, I, you know, I don't, it feels like people don't really have a good read on where the Broncos are going to go at number nine. But I would not be shocked if it was quarterback. Elway, of course, step, was promoted and then stepped down. <laughs> yeah at
4: GM for George Patton, who was a member of the Vikings front office under Rick Spielman when the team traded into the first round for Cordero Patterson. They traded into the first round for Teddy Bridgewater. And that's why the connection with Bridgewater makes sense, especially since he's now on the block. Having said that, since we know they're more than willing to deal if they were comfortable with a player, I still still think it's very possible they either move up to number four with the Falcons to get a quarterback since it now seems like at the least, four are going to be gone in the top five, top six, I would believe. And, or if the one is hovering around number four or five at number eight with the Panthers, I don't think the Panthers are shying away from drafting another quarterback, even though they're picking up Sam Darnold's fifth-year option. But I think they can move back with the Broncos, will probably overpay for that last dangling guy. So I still think the Broncos can add someone in the draft, if not just going with the safest uh, lowest hanging fruit possible, and adding
3: Bridgewater via trade. That's a good point. I had thought he so he does have the danger on two fronts because I wasn't thinking about the Bridgewater connection, which, like you said, is very real. So Drew Locke, he mystified. missed well, this, this is what he does in general. He mystifies with his play, and then mystified when he didn't get someone added to challenge him in free agency. But yeah, I think he's still facing threats on two fronts.
2: I mean, even Bridgewater would feel like a pretty significant upgrade for the Broncos' pass catchers, right? I mean, at this point, wouldn't you sign off on that as like a, a fantasy person?
3: It would
4: not be the sexiest option, but it would at least deliver the ball into their hands accurately <laughs> and allow all their explosive options to try to put some yards after the catch. So it'd be it'd be acceptable to watch, but it's not the ideal. Like, I want something with more pop.
3: Yeah, I'd rather have a rookie, but like Matt, there aren't many places left for Teddy Bridgewater where you'd be like, okay, yeah, but he is a clear upgrade yeah. there. Uh, this is one of those situations where he would be a clear upgrade. It's like John said, could at least deliver some clean targets to this extremely talented group of skill players.
2: James Robinson had over 1,400 total yards and 10 touchdowns as an undrafted rookie last season. Obviously, just a tremendous pickup for anyone who got him in a fantasy league. Daigle, do you think Urban Meyer is going to bring in some competition here?
4: Robinson is not out of the clear yet. Carlos Hyde, of course, was added in free agency, and we're not worried about that at all. We're not downgrading Robinson for Carlos Hyde. Uh, But per Sharp Football's Rich Rebar, he noted this on Twitter, and I'm bringing it to the podcast, remember that current Jaguars GM, Trent Baalke, in his time with the 49ers, in all six of his drafts, added a running back um, to that team. So I think they can actually add a running back and will at a high draft capital. And that's what we're waiting on because Robinson averaged, that's the key here. Chris Thompson is currently a free agent still, and it was only two games, but in those two games without Chris Thompson last year, Robinson averaged 25 and a half touches and 24.8 fantasy points per game. So if he escapes the draft with only high looking over his shoulder, I think it's fine. Like He's one of the biggest winners of free agency, but he has to escape the draft.
3: Yeah. It's, it's kind of like a lock situation where like he appeared to escape free agency as a huge winner, mm-hmm. James Robinson. Cause so said, Carlos Hyde is just not a threat, but Hyde was like such a minimalistic addition that it really like, raises your antenna for the draft. And I just can't see, you know, urban Meyer has been a guy who's always had like a number of backfield options. He's kind of always had like a Jackrabbit type in the backfield, like one of those Swiss army knife, like slashing playmakers. And I could definitely see Urban Meyer, in addition to Trent Baalke, which I, I didn't know, that was a great stat, you know, always drafting, taking flyers and running backs in San Francisco. I could just see Urban Meyer wanting a more traditional pass-catching back. James Robinson did a pretty stand-up job as a pass catcher last year, like a lot better than I would have expected. But I just can't see Urban Meyer coming out of this draft without one of those guys you know, who gives him Percy Harvin type is like a, like too big of like an archetype, too big of a comp. He always had like poor man's. Percy Harvins at both Florida and Ohio State. And maybe he already has that, I guess, with LaVisca Chenault on the roster. But I just think, especially with the pass-catching department, they're going to want to add more of a pure pass-catching threat. And James Robinson did fine with that, but Carlos Hyatt is not a great pass-catcher despite some high reception seasons. And I just think they're going to add a pass-catching back, and that's going to carve out a lot of James Robinson's upsides. You know, his thing last year was just being out there every down. Game script didn't matter. Uh, score didn't matter, situation didn't matter, he was just getting the touches. And that's still set up to be the case right now with only Carlos Hyde. But like, I think there's going to be someone in the draft.
2: All right, the aforementioned Atlanta Falcons made an under-the-radar free agent signing, which is really the only kind of signing they can make from salary cap hell. But Mike Davis has joined their backfield. And as of this moment, it would look like he's the guy there. But all along, they've been rumored to be a mix, one of the top running backs in the draft. Uh, do you guys share my concern? Daigle, that March and April are potentially the peak of the Mike Davis experience in Atlanta?
4: <laughs> it's going to be interesting because he basically only signed a one-year $2.2 million deal since Atlanta can save $2.5 million if necessary by just outright cutting him next year. Uh, I've said this on the podcast previously, but I'll keep hammering it. As it stands, Atlanta offers a league-high 301 carries unaccounted for from last year's production. I do not expect... Davis to take all that over but the fact is even if he takes half a majority of those vacated carries we know his singular strength in the league is his pass catching chops he will be thrown into that role and perhaps most importantly the group listed behind him right now the Ito Smiths of the world Kadri Allison, like remember those are tied to the last regime we have a new GM uh new coaching staff all around they're the ones who handpicked even if just for one year Mike Davis so I would think from off-season reps on, he's the leader in the clubhouse right now to be the team starting running back, and that's why, I, unless the draft proves otherwise, I'm going to make sure I have him well above consensus over the rest of the industry
3: all off long. And well, so Matt, you said March and April could be the peak of the Mike. That is traditionally was the peak <laughs> of the Mike <laughs> Davis experience until last year, where he finally did. You know, for years people he'd been buzzed about. As a guy, could get more work than you're expecting, could provide some real zero RB value, and I then think, finally,
4: not to cut you off, Pat. Sorry, uh, but I think even you were getting tired of it because for two magazines in a row, when this guy <laughs> was just bumbling around as a backup with Seattle and the Bears, I wrote about him every offseason in the mag, saying, "Hey, like
3: Mike Davis, there's a situation here for him to emerge." So you were a big part of the Mike Davis vanguard, and I was. You were right. I mean, it, that happens with guys sometimes. or a couple off seasons, it makes so much sense. Like, this guy should have a bigger role. You should get a bigger role, and I guess it wouldn't have happened. I guess if Christian McCaffrey hadn't got hurt, obviously, but he he was a guy we thought could handle a bigger role, and he did until he really started to wear down. And I would I would be very concerned about like the the Falcons' health, so to speak, if they didn't take a running back because like uh, I would their mental process would be kind of odd because Mike Davis is gonna have a role. So like John, like you said, he, he's gonna have a role next year. Uh, but the, Arthur Smith, he was a one back uh, coach in Tennessee, but that was just because of the talent at his. Uh, disposal and that was all universe running back Derrick Henry that's of course not going to be the case in Atlanta and like Mike Davis so he he proved uh, he could handle the bigger role but then he really did wear down of course and he's an older back. he's still everything about him to suggest he profiles best as a role player and John is right he could still have value even with an addition in the draft but I, I would be I, I think this will be the peak at least of like the projected Mike Davis workload because to me, they basically have to add someone in the draft.
2: Keeping it in running back territory for a minute here. Kenyon Drake no longer in Arizona. That, in theory, sets things up, as we've talked about, beautifully for Chase Edmonds to take over something resembling a featured role. But, Pat, are you worried that the Cardinals might draft a running back and turn this into some sort of dreadful committee?
3: I am. I'm going to be interested to hear how worried John is, too. But Cliff Kingsbury really ramped up his two-back approach last year. 2019, he kind of seemed... He wasn't like a one-back offense, but was more comfortable in like a one-back offense where last year he like really ramped this up where Kenyon Drake was like the true early down guy, which is not what you would expect from Kenyon Drake. Chase Edmonds really flourished as a pass catcher. Uh, but the, the, the warning signs are there. So he, he was really good in his 2019 spot start, Chase Edmonds. He was really bad in his 2020 spot start last year. That's just one game, of course, a ridiculously small sample size. But maybe that's the thing like hanging in the Cardinals mind and uh, he is headed into the final year of his rookie contract. So a lot of times, even if you're planning to resign a guy, that's like a position where you've got a running back in the final year's deal. You're kind of always thinking ahead, going to add a back. And they did add, Eno you know, Benjamin last year, but I don't think that's probably like uh, viewed as part of like their long-term like a uh, true backfield plans. And you know, maybe Chase Evans, uh, like, again, yeah, he was really good in a few spot starts uh, earlier in his career, but, Maybe he's just been typecast at this point as a third down back. And he has one game, but it just can't help that he flopped so badly in his one-game cameo last year. And I'm just afraid that maybe he's been typecast. It makes too much sense on paper to draft a back. And I really hope they don't. But I think Chase Edmonds deserves this, deserves this shot, deserves this role. But I am worried that they're going to draft a running back.
4: As it stands, it's the same cast that was behind Chase Evans last year. Jonathan Ward, who is active as the team's backup or number three back most of the time. uh, DJ Foster and Angel Benjamin, who they drafted in the seventh round. The fun part here is that I don't think everyone's aware of the draft capital or lack thereof the Cardinals have. They pick a number 16 overall, which I cannot imagine using a running back among this class at that spot. And then mid-second round at number 49 overall. But beyond that, they don't pick again until the fifth round. If we what? get to number 50, and look this up just to make sure. But everything I saw, because I, I looked it up no, three, three different locations. I believe they only have four picks in this draft. Uh, I think that's stemming from the DeAndre Hopkins trade as well. But if we get past number 49, we reach number 50, we need our party hats, poppers, uh, chocolate cake and Pat's case out because that means we have escaped any running back that would matter whatsoever in draft capital.
3: And it will be chase Edmonds from this point forward, <laughs> John, you're right. So they pick 49 and then their next pick is 160 fifth round. Yeah. So it is looking like a deed might be chase. Edmonds. We are going to I, I, know
4: the answer about chase Edmonds in day two to start. Like that's it. That's a really good point. It's going really And good so point. that's what we're waiting for. But if we escape that landmine, it's over. Like we are drafting chase Edmonds above everyone for the rest of the offseason.
3: So, wait, John, you need to position it where you have, like, nine or ten best balls where you can make picks Friday evening – of draft week where you make sure you get Chase Edmonds no matter what. I
4: mean, in our tiers in the site right now, I believe I have him at RB15, and that's well above that's that that's assuming he does skip those two landmines. Like that's well above anyone else. And because I want everyone to be ahead of this. I
2: want the live like webcam on on that night of like both of your residences where like the pick happens and then you guys are like celebrating Pat takes out the cake. Daigle's fist pumping, like some, some streamers come down, <laughs> that kind of thing.
4: Well, we are, we're doing another, I assume we haven't talked about it yet, but we're probably doing another post round one podcast that night, immediately after live reaction. So, you know, that'll be a halfway celebration.
3: Hey. I've been We are going to do that. And Matt, we need to talk about that. Uh, should we just plan that on yeah, the air? Yeah. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's what we're yeah. doing. We're <laughs> planning it live right now. Let's brainstorm. So look alive, Matt.
2: All right. Alan Lazard, I think, is our next guy we want to talk about here. handful of big games for the Packers last season, including 146 yards and a score week three. Also had a big playoff performance against the Rams, but of course missed a lot of time with the core muscle injury. Daigle, do you think they're confident enough in him as a top three option there, or is the draft likely to knock Lazard further down that depth chart?
4: We said this last year, so I don't want (laughs) to be caught running on a treadmill here for the Packers, but honestly, beyond Devontae Adams, none of their receivers are locked up through next year. Because even Lazard and Tanya, they were exclusive right free agents. Uh, they just came right back when they were tendered. So there is clear room here to add anyone. And you see uh, a few guys now getting some late round pub, like Kadarius Tony, for instance, who's one of the bigger names now known to be drafted in the first round, most likely. So I would think that they add someone like that. Uh, Devontae Adams, of course, averaged 11 targets per game and the 13 full games he played last year, and I would not expect that workload and target share to change whatsoever, no matter who is added. And we know that MBS is more of a pop shotter, a guy who has a who has one singular talent, will get three targets per game, uh, and maybe he delivers one catch on those. But overall, they do need to add someone. Again, That we same thing we said last year, though, too.
3: So I mean, it's been two free agencies in a row now. Uh, It's been a draft last year where the Packers, each time, all three times, it was surprising. They did not address the receiver core. You would think this finally has to be the time. And just yet, where MVS, he's one-dimensional, but he's gotten better at his dimension every year. They seem to now trust him as the deep threat. His role probably won't change. Whereas if they draft a receiver, it's definitely going to be bad for Alan Zard, who is essentially like a tight end masquerading as a wide receiver. And has been fine has provided some big catches, some big games, some important moments for the Packers, but he's like the definition of a replacement-level player. Whereas MVS, despite being mistake-prone and like taking you know, all sort, all that heat, he's kind of developed into an above-average, pure deep threat. So if they're drafting a receiver, I think it hurts Alan Lazard much more than uh, MVS.
2: All right, I'm going to keep it in Atlanta one more time. The Falcons are expected by a lot of people to take a quarterback fourth. We also talked about the possibility that they'll trade down. But there have been some rumors and some mock drafts projecting them to take Kyle Pitts fourth overall. I mean, the bottom line is that Pitts seems likely to wreck some veterans value this upcoming season. And Hurst, Hayden Hurst, is the guy who I think of here because he at least has some upside, I think, in a new offense with Arthur Smith. Last year, 56 catches, 571 yards, six touchdowns. Maybe not quite what people expected, but it's not nothing. And I think you could really see Arthur Smith getting something out of this guy if Pitts is not in the fold.
4: And perhaps there's room for both to feed if Arthur Smith chooses to go a Jonu-Ferkser route and use a lot of 12 personnel. But honestly, like for Pitts to land there, it's the worst-case scenario for both tight ends most likely because they're just cannibalizing one another. Uh, Hurst, last year, ran the fourth most routes among all tight ends and still finished 15th in fantasy points per game. Um just didn't deliver weekly despite being out there being involved at least on the field. So I'm still concerned about Hurst no matter what, but we can at least guarantee that usage as long as Pitts doesn't land there or if they trade out of the situation. Whereas if Pitts lands there, yeah, it's not looking good for Hurst.
3: I mean, you're right about the buzz for this does exist. I still I just have a hard time seeing how this can be put? Maybe this is part of a plan to like entice someone to trade up, but this just a team is so bereft on defense, and as always, rebuilding along their offensive line where they seem to have horrible injury issues. And Hurst is one of the better, uh, even though you might not think of him that way. He's one of the better pure pass catching tight ends the NFL, and uh, I. It's just not pass catching weapon is not what they. He's a maybe they throw need out the window with a player as special as Kyle Pitts. But, I, yeah, I have a hard time. I think Hayden Hurst – Hayden Hurst. I had to specify which Hayden. <laughs> Hayden Hurst, I think, is the first veteran we've hit on here who's probably pretty safe. And I even if this continues to get buzzed about, I just don't see – how this could happen? Although, if they do take Pitts, and I know this is a hindsight
4: analysis, I know Falcons fans get pissed anytime we mention this, but I will be so upset because they could have had C.D. Lamb, Pitts, Julio Jones, and Calvin Ridley, and instead chose to draft A.J. Terrell last year, who was a great player, but one cornerback among an absolute makeshift mess doesn't help your defense whatsoever. Why even try to throw viable bodies out there and then just try to outscore everyone? That's what you could have done. So yes, I'm still holding angst against that selection and not bringing CeeDee Lamb to succeed Julio Jones eventually.
2: It's one of the many reasons Thomas Dimitrov is no longer around, Daigle.
0: That's very, very true, yeah.
1: Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.
2: Just a quick reminder that our premium product subscriptions at NBC Sports Edge cover all sports. So right now you can still get access to NBA, NHL, MLB premium products For 10% off any subscription. Enter the promo code GOOD10. The 49ers backfield is currently headlined by Raheem Mostert, obviously very explosive when healthy last season, and Jeff Wilson, who is back, had 10 total touchdowns last season. I mean, this seems like a pretty clear 1A, 1B situation right now, Pat. Are you concerned that Kyle Shanahan and the Niners might add another uh, significant running back talent in this draft?
3: I am concerned because he's 29. Uh, he flopped his big moment, his big audition last year, just too injured. Uh, wasn't as as explosive when healthy, presumably, because he spent so much year battling injury. And Kyle Shanahan has a long history of a, a dra- a aggressively targeting running backs in both free agency and the draft. Uh, didn't work out with the free agency approach in San Francisco, so he might think it's time to finally groom someone from the draft, kind of like he did with Tevin Coleman in atlanta and this happened with these role players these are like career journeymen, like if they get their shot they kind of only get one shot basically maybe that's not fair because raheem Mostert has been an extremely explosive player when healthy under kyle shanahan but my guess is that last year was kind of his one shot and that sh- i think you know they really need uh they need to beef up their back someone who someone who is as sophisticated with the running game as kyle shanahan like he's kind of undermanned right now in the backfield and he needs, like, another movable chess piece, like another weapon he can mold to fit his offense. And I think the 49ers should and will draft a running back at some point. And Kyle Shanahan's kind of coach where he could be a fourth or fifth rounder and it will still be, like, a player who's immediately featured because he, he like, identifies players he thinks fits his system and then makes them uh, fit his system.
4: A lot of times with Patriots backfield, Shanahan, uh, the Rams under Sean McVay, you know, the, the running back touches get – muddied muddled up and everyone just says oh like that's the coach this is Shanahanigan's. hannigan's like don't worry about it at all but honestly you do a little work and the timeline just makes perfect sense um shanahan wanted to feature mostert he showed that in mostert's three full appearances through october mostert handled 52 of 87 backfield touches everyone else was an afterthought the issue like pat said is he kept getting injured and then jeff wilson returned from injury had his one spot start for mostert against the Patriots and looked amazing. 17 carries, 112 yards, three touchdowns, super explosive. And so what happens when both were finally available from week 12 on for four games? They split touches because that kept both healthy and honestly, both were explosive when healthy. And that's why Mostert barely out-touched Wilson 58-49 in those last four games together from weeks 12 through 15. And so I think it just makes sense that If both return, whether or not a back's running in the draft or not, an added in the draft or not, this is the split we're going to see. And both can be very successful in fantasy with that split, so it's just fine. But if someone else is added to the mix, instead of just letting Jamichael Hasty run in the Jarrett McKinnon uh, role, in that case, then we will probably have to start worrying and downgrade Mostert
3: slightly. Well, I haven't thought enough about a hasty this offseason, by the way, someone we spent a lot of time talking about last year. I need to get him back in my mind space because I'm sure he'll be hyped at some point.
4: It's just that he would fill in on that sporadic third down roll for McKinnon if that is the case. Uh, I can't imagine them adding anyone else or maybe they just give you more more touches. But yeah, I, I think it's still Mostert and Wilson. The issue is that and again, if you check the best ball running back tiers, I, I note this that. Wilson's actually being drafted like seven and a half rounds later than most And that's insane. Like that is such good value considering I would expect it to be a 55 45 split.
2: You know, there's going to be that random one-off Thursday night game when we're all firing Jermichael hasty into our, into our fantasy <laughs> <Yeah>. lineups.
3: <laughs> it's always Thursday night. Always, always. So you get the crushing, crushing disappointment as early in the week as possible.
2: Exactly. Ruins your next three days. One more backfield to talk about. 2019 seventh rounder, Miles Gaskin got a lot of chances for Miami when he was healthy last season, just under a thousand yards from scrimmage and five touchdowns in 10 games. Daigle, how tenuous when you look at this backfield, how tenuous is Gaskin's hold on that backfield? And can it even be called that at this point?
4: It comes down to the draft. Honestly, we saw that even though Savon Ahmed was very good in his, a couple of spot starts he got while Gaskin was on the COVID list uh, and eight Appearances from week three on Gaskins still averaged a 13% target share as a proven plus pass catcher from the backfield and more importantly 19.7 touches per game. Even in that week 17 regular season finale against the Bills, which they got blown out. Gaskin out touched Ahmed eleven to three until the fourth quarter when the Dolphins were down four scores, and then they put in Ahmed to just kill the clock and get the hell out of the regular season. So this is Gaskin's backfield. The issue is, unlike the Cardinals, the Dolphins are sitting here with a number six, the number eighteen, the number thirty-six overall pick, basically guaranteeing Najee Harris another or another top draft capital running back in the first two days, and that's why I'm still pretty concerned about Gaskin.
3: Yeah, I am too. I mean, they could go into the backfield uh, with the personnel they have now, into the season, excuse me, with the personnel they have now in the backfield and probably be fine. But, you know, they were, how strongly were they connected to Aaron Jones? I was about to say loosely, but sometimes it felt more than loosely. Like they were at least considering a run at Aaron Jones. And a lot of times, you know, teams just kind of get tired. Not everyone's like Kyle Shanahan where they prefer, they can just mix and match with three or four running backs. The Dolphins. Seems like they kind of got tired of that last year. And, you know, you're developing a, a young quarterback, someone who maybe you can't really rely on for instant offense yet. And they're probably someone who wants to have a strong run game, wants to have a more consistent running game, someone that they feel they can rely on more week in and week out. And Miles Gaskin showed some of those traits last year. He's still only 24. Uh, but yeah, the Dolphins seem like the, the indicator light there is very strong. That if if the right, they won't, maybe they won't force a running back pick because of the returning talent they have, but like the situation presents itself where they they probably won't hesitate to draft a running back.
2: Last one for me, and I think the last one on our list is Cam Newton, the current Patriots starter at quarterback. Another team though that's been mentioned is potentially trying to move up to get a quarterback, maybe target Mac Jones, whether or not we believe the Niners' rumors about him. Uh, Either way, I think my main question here is. Does Cam Newton at age 31 even have enough juice left to warrant us being worried about him for fantasy purposes?
3: That's a good question. John. <laughs> I point, uh, I I point mean, it to
4: you because like, I don't <laughs> we've talked about it in the past and I just, I'm still so I'm confused. I, I generally don't know what to do with the Patriots quarterback situation.
3: I mean, it's amazing that Cam survived all last season without getting hurt. I mean, he was hurt. It, that was part of the problem. He appeared to be playing hurt, but it's like amazing. He made it to week 17 without ending on injured reserve. Cause he disappeared so out of gas, so on fumes, but I think it's still safe to say he's clearly better than Jarrett Stidham and Brian Hoyer. So I understood at least bringing him back in that role, but the smoke really does seem to be building here for a young quarterback uh, or even if not a young quarterback, say so they strike out in the draft and then acquiring Jimmy Garoppolo. And I think Cam was more about bringing back a guy who is still, has a, still has a few special traits, still a special runners running back. And bringing him back and making sure they at least have some upside, is in like a doomsday scenario he still starts, or is this more upside from their number two spot? Because say if they end up with Jimmy Garoppolo, Jimmy Garoppolo is very injury prone, and uh, this is a guy who still has some special traits. and Now has a year of experience in like their very complex offense. I, I this seems to be the plan for me with cams. So they just want him back, kind of as like that fallback fallback plan. And that yeah, I'm I'm really kind of beginning to believe the Patriots quarterback draft buzz. again getting Jimmy Garoppolo, who the 49ers right now are leaking. They will not trade, but you know, that makes no sense. I think that if the right opportunity presents itself, they will definitely trade Jimmy Garoppolo. And if Cam comes back as a starter, I mean I mean the he can't provide more rushing fantasy value than he did last year. And even with the improved supporting cast, this is hard to see the passing production getting better because his shoulder appears to just be totally wrecked. It is a one-year
4: deal, of course, and we've talked about this in the past where half the contract is basically incentive-laden, and it includes wild incentives that he's probably never going to reach, MVP, Super Bowl, yada, 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 and that's what I'm worried about. If they do get through the draft, of course, because I don't think a quarterback, one of the big five, is going to fall to the mid-first round. It doesn't seem that way, and so if they do make it that far, even into day two, I will be drafting Cam Newton with confidence just because there's really no other route they can go that would scare me. I guess if they add Garoppolo, then they would be adding him to start, especially given his lofty cap hit this upcoming year. But overall, uh I think I'm more concerned about a trade than I am the draft. And if that's the case, I'm fine grabbing Cam Newton right now in best ball drafts as my QB three, uh perhaps a QB two if you draft a high QB one and just hoping for the best
3: speak Jared, cam gets a million dollar bonus if he wins defensive player of the year by the way. So. i mean I, yeah just quickly i just
2: can't i can't not forget i can't forget i mean four rushing touchdowns in his first two games nine in his first eight games like there was a minute there where he looked like a flat out pretty brilliant pick before his season totally went off the rails and i mean you could imagine a scenario where if he's a starter he gets off to another strong start this year at least
3: you would hope he at least gets off to a strong start while his shoulder still remains attached. But the problem has been keeping that arm in good throwing health. I mean, this he didn't look like an NFL passer. For a guy who used to have such a strong arm, I mean, he was like shot-putting, like heaving the ball. Yeah, it was painful. And unless he can somehow get that fixed, there's just nowhere for this to go but down.
2: All right, guys, before we get out of here, anything either of you want to mention on the site?
3: Those tears, baby. The John Best Ball tears they're up. Uh, so, uh that's what I'm mentioning. Best ball so. tiers. Yep. St- still rolling out.
4: Uh, we are back to doing weekly best ball live drafts every Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern. So come for as long as, or as short as you'd like to stay. Stick around with the chat. And yeah, that's pretty much what's going on right now. We'll have more draft content and stuff coming up as well.
3: And I rolled out a quick uh, quick and dirty short column on the Sam Darnold acquisition by the Panthers on Monday, so if you want some uh, some words on the Sam Darnold, uh, check it out.
4: We haven't talked about that yet, so quickly summarize that article, or at least horizontally tease it, so people can go check it out.
3: Uh, basically, uh, What did I write? You know, I wrote words that I remember that uh, <laughs> uh, I found it to be kind of. A, I agree with you. They seem to have all their eggs in one basket, the Deshaun Watson basket, and where he's like good is kind of like the same areas where Teddy Bridgewater is good. Like he's, he's been fine as an intermediate passer, but unlike Teddy Bridgewater, uh, he makes all the errors. And unless there's this, I I view it as kind of like a low upside acquisition base. It seemed like kind of like a desperation move to me. I mean, I'm being, I was a little more charitable in the article, but I didn't think it was enough of an upgrade on Teddy Bridgewater for them to really do it. If, quickly if donald's career is
4: still just fine if he's confident at all it's literally the best case scenario for him uh of course joe brady against the league's toughest passing schedule last year still schemed career highs for five separate players teddy bridgewater included and they wanted someone to two would take more downfield shots donald will do that of course if his career is over under adam Gase, that means this is a awful trade and this is a one-year deal and we will be overdrafting him because i think it's a really good situation honestly
3: I did. So that's one thing is if you were drawing up like before the trade happened, if you drew up, like the the very short list, like the two or three people you would want to try to save his career, Joe Brady might be on that list right now. Absolutely. So it is a brilliant landing spot from Darnold's perspective.
2: Quickly before we get out of here, knowing everything, you know, about Darnold, does this leave you feeling relatively optimistic about the Panthers pass catchers with him throwing them the ball?
3: Uh, Not really. I mean, these are better weapons than they ever had in New York. I mean, including Robbie Anderson, uh, who he has some chemistry with back-to-back Decembers uh, before he left New York. He's never had a weapon like Christian McCaffrey. He's never had a weapon like DJ Moore. I mean, DJ Moore looks makes Jameson Crowder look like a Patriots special teamer, basically. So it will be interesting to see him with some actual weapons. Um, but it's hard to see how things could go better for the Panthers. I guess DJ Moore could compile more this year. He's compiling – got hurt last year by all the Robbie Anderson targets, all the Curtis Samuel targets, but I don't view this as like a huge positive for any of the Panthers pass catchers. No,
4: we will close on this statement. Knowing what we know right now with both situations, I would rather have Sam Darnold as my late round QB two than Deshaun Watson.
2: Dagle, Pat. Thanks guys. Thanks to all of you for listening. Let's go watch some golf and I am going to make some spicy fried chicken and salmon. <laughs> <laughs>